0: Opinions expressed on ACB media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Uh,
1: Welcome. This is Maria Hansen uh, welcoming you to the first GDUI session at this year's ACB convention. Um, I'm really excited. This is... Probably our most popular session, the guide dog school update, we'll be hearing from 13, um, excuse me, yes, 13 U.S. schools and one Canadian school today. Um, And I'm sure everyone's excited to hear that Uh, before um, we proceed. into the meat of the sessions, and this is a double session, I want to do a couple of things. First, I want to introduce the president of GGI, who will give a couple of words. Or, uh, and then I have a couple of real quick announcements uh, business wise, and then we'll introduce Vicki, our guide dog school liaison, and she'll take over with the program. So first of all, Uh, Sarah Calhoun is in. I hope she's unmuted. Sarah is president of Guide Dog Users. Andrea? Yes?
2: It's Andrea. Before you go further, uh, do we need to do CEU codes? Okay. I will announce the CEU codes twice. And then at the end of the session, I will announce the ending CEU codes. So if you need these, please take note of them. They will only be announced twice. Beginning CEU codes for this session. 01470. Zero. Again, zero, 01470. Thank you, Maria. Oh, thank you.
3: Okay, Sarah. Hello, everyone, uh, and welcome to the uh Guide Dog School program uh, update. And as Maria said, we are very excited to have the program and everyone is always looks forward to the school updates. So we appreciate all of the uh, representatives from the schools that have called in and uh, will be giving an update. And we uh, thank everyone, uh, members and friends who have called in to listen as well. So um, uh, I'm looking forward and again, enjoy the program and the uh, rest of the convention i'll turn it back
1: over to maria thank you sarah so it's kind of fun being the uh program chair for guide dog Users Inc., and i also serve as first vice president but on one of the things i want to do right now is announce uh quickly door prize winners for today these are from people who've registered so the first uh, person is Haley Eddick, and she will receive a microfiber dog bath towel, nice big one. Uh, the second door prize winner today is Gretchen Mon, and Gretchen will receive a package of scrubby instant rinse-free bath mitts. And our third door prize winner today is Laura Stangle. And Laura will receive a $10 uh, gift certificate from Amazon. Uh, at this point, I want to turn things over to the GGI Guide Dog School liaison, Vicki Curley.
4: Hey, everybody. Boy, it's so wonderful to finally be here. This has been planned now for quite a while. And I am so, so very grateful for all the school's willingness to take time out of their very busy days to come and spend time here with us. And so the way this is going to go is we have 14 schools that we get to hear from today. We have asked them to take about five minutes, giving us just a, just a, a quick background about their program as we may have folks in who have not, you know, been exposed much to the dog guide world. So just a little bit of history, we've asked them to talk about COVID protocol and wait-listing and all that kind of interesting stuff, anything new that might be coming. And then after we get through the, pro, uh, the schools, we will then be opening up for questions. This is why we have a double session so that we can take our time to enjoy each and every presentation and then have time to um, ask questions of um, our wonderful panelists here. So put on your seatbelts, fasten them up, and here we go. Our first presenter is Eric Laurie from Freedom Guide Dogs. The floor is yours, Eric.
0: Well, thank you, Vicki, and thank you all from the ACB. Freedom Guide Dogs, it was a, what you would just say, the spinoff from the original home training program of Fidelco at Shepherds, where my wife and I served for five years before that. Sharon and I had each been in the guide dog world about 25, 30 years, you know, 20 years maybe. Um, we Freedom Guide Dogs just celebrated its 31st anniversary as of June this year. We are producing, to approximately 38 to 40 guide dog teams a year all in home training we have a special needs program for blind people that have additional disabilities being blind or visually impaired first we have switched using a bar for the hypoallergenic dogs we are now using bouviers and still in our infancy we've only placed about six and we don't have a breeding program on the ground yet but we're working on that we have an apprentice. We've been going through apprentices, and they just not meeting muster. But we have a new apprentice again. We goal is to add two more trainers to our program. Um, we use uh, also use lab collie crosses, and because we use smooth coated collies, those are collies with short hair, and we cross them with labs, and they've been affectionately nicknamed lollies. Our mainstay is Labrador Retrievers. They are the best and we have, my wife built a great breeding program of labs and collies. We're working on building the next generation. We have younger staff on board now. Um, uh, Ashley has taken uh, my wife's place in the breeding program but my wife just working with her as a consultant. Dave was a trainer for 10 plus years. He's probably 12 years now and he's our director of training. And um, our year waiting list is uh, a year to a year and a half. Now, we only serve the East Coast, but that also says West Virginia and Pennsylvania, since they're kind of attached to us. And we go all the way down the East Coast, which is where I now hail from in Florida. John Byfield, my mentor, had opened up the the Florida when he was still in, still joined with us, but he's retired three years now. Um, and by the way, he trained guide dogs for over 60 plus years. He retired at the age of 83, three years ago. Um, the next generation that we're working on, we hope to have at least four trainers on staff, which we do now, but eventually myself is, and and uh, our contact trainer, Jeff, is not going to be able to hold up another 10 years, maybe 10 plus years, and then we're done. So we want to bring on new, uh, new trainers with not much experience we can gain from us and guidance over the years as we take on more and more challenges. We do serve veterans anywhere in the United States of America. though, so Because they've gone out of their way for us, we feel we should so strongly support them wherever when we get a request for veterans. And like I said, our waiting list is a year to a year and a half. I work out Florida mostly, but I work in the Carolinas and Georgia. And then they, the rest of the country is taken by the home office which has the majority of trainers and dogs. And I think that's it, short and sweet. Thank you.
4: Eric, um, as I know that you're so high in demand um, and you have another obligation, I am going to take a moment just to ask you a question that was submitted to me by somebody who cannot be here live. Um, this question, you know, being this question was submitted, uh, not just to you specifically, but it was home trained home-based, uh, programs. First of all, I'm so very grateful that we have you because there are folks that absolutely could not train with a dog guide if they could not be trained at home. Um, speaking for myself, one of the main reasons that I wanted to train with a guide dog is drivers have gotten crazier and wilder. And um, I trained at the seeing eye, and of course, the seeing has all kinds of ways to deal with traffic training while we are in class. You going out to people's homes and areas offers up a bit of an interesting environment for traffic training. Can you spend just a minute or two talking about how you set that up for your students while they are in training with you?
0: You well know, that's a good question. Yes, because we're we're not we're not facility based. Our instructors are out there on their own. Our dogs are intensely trained on traffic at at the at, at the training center and down here in Florida. We base it all on natural traffic. It's what you're going to be in eventually when you're done training with the guide dog. We strive from the day one. As when on placement, to find as many difficult intersections as possible. Whether the person will ever cross that again, they will cross it with us. And the dog, to prove the dog's savvy understanding of uh, the respect for traffic, and it, it usually pans out, it's much more difficult up in Maine and a few other very rural areas. So our trainers will drive over an hour plus. I remember myself up in Maine, driving all the way into Bangor and into Portland just to find traffic crossings with sidewalks. You know, there's plenty of mountains out in the middle of the woods nowhere and crossing Route 1 or 95 or something. But to find realistic crossings where blind people would cross or not per se, but the traffic it's the important thing. And we try to come up with all the configurations possible. And then and, um, usually we're very successful at that. And, and we strive at it until the blind person is comfortable with it, They're, with the, and understanding the dog's capabilities and abilities and them should demonstrating their ability to confidently make the right decisions.
4: Thank you so very much, Eric. I appreciate uh, your information. Okay, our next uh, school will be Jennifer Hotskins, I know I always say that wrong, from Southeastern Guide Dogs in Florida, my home state.
5: Hi, thank you, Vicki. It's Jennifer Johnson from Southeastern Guide Dogs. I think I mixed up your name with somebody else on the list. I think I <laughs> That's okay. No too. problem. Hi, everyone. Uh, as I said, I'm from Southeastern Guide Dogs, and we are located in Palmetto, Florida, which is on the West Coast. It's uh, between Sarasota and Tampa, so it's like Central Florida on the West Coast. We have programs here for guide dogs, of course. We also serve veterans with PTSD and we have a companion program for visually impaired children, visually impaired adults, Gold Star families, and also military families. We, um, we place dogs with teens and adults. Our lower age limit is 15 and uh, we have a great teen program. Uh, we don't have an upper age limit, of course. For our teens, we also offer a two-day immersive camp here on our Palmetto campus, and that's for the teen and their parents. We invite them here to stay with with us for two days. They work with instructors for those two days, and we take them through a guide dog, a very hands-on guide dog experience. And this a lot of times is for teens and parents who are unsure who don't really who are new to the guide dog world are unsure of the relationship and the responsibilities of both both parties and um, just making sure that the teen is is mature enough and ready to handle a guide dog because these are teens that are also in high school so uh, we want to make sure that they're ready for it and they're ready for the responsibility of it uh, as far as our training program we use positive reinforcement throughout the training curriculum and also through the the Client training. We have Labradors, and we also do a cross between the Labs and the Goldens. But that's all where that that's all that we're using right now. Mostly Labs, um, not as many Lab Golden crosses. For client training, we place about sixty guide dog teams a year, and we serve all of the continental United States right now our wait time is about 12 months new this year to our client training we launched what we call our online university and this is an online learning platform that introduces our approved applicants to veterinary care uh, care of the guide dog in your home as well as Some of the vocabulary and skills and techniques and things that you're going to be learning while you're here on campus. It doesn't replace our on campus training because, of course, nothing can replace the hands on training and it's not a requirement, but it is really highly um, encouraged to get on there and do as many of those modules as you can before coming to a class. Our classes, speaking of classes, our classes are a three-week course here in uh, Palmetto in Florida, and we run all year long. Most of our training is uh, through the residential course here on campus. Um, we do occasionally do some home training, for, uh, mostly for, for applicants that have had guide dogs from us before. Our class sizes are six to nine students, so we try to keep a three to one or a two to one ratio of student to instructor. Two to one is really what our goal is, but uh, we will go up to three to one. Post-graduation, we always do a 90-day follow-up with our graduates. And so anywhere within the 90 days after graduation, we uh, come out and visit you in your home. And that's mostly it's done from one of the instructors that you had in class, or it'll be done by one of our alumni advisors that, you know, our field representatives. But within that 90 days, you'll have a home visit. It could be the week after you get home. It could be six weeks or it could be at the end of the 90 day mark but we will keep in touch with you for that 90 days pretty closely at first and the last thing is that we do offer an alumni benefits program and this supplies dog food from, from from family foods that's what we feed here on campus and so it'll supply the dog food for free. It also covers the cost of annual veterinary visits and the cost of uh, monthly preventatives. And that's all I have about right now.
4: Jennifer, um, what protocol do you have in place, if anything, for covid
5: yeah, not much. We, we really, we're not requiring any testing. We're not having any masks, anything like that. So we, we're, we're pretty good to go now and back to pretty much normal.
4: Great. Okay, Jennifer, thank you so, so very much for that. Thank you all. All right. Our next presenter will be Melissa Carney from Guiding Eyes for the Blind. Oh. Great. Thank you so much, Vicki, and thank you,
6: everyone, for inviting Guiding Eyes to speak on this panel. Um, I'm going to introduce myself and then turn it over to Mika White, uh, who's also an ACB member, to share a bit more about our school as well. Um, so I'm Melissa Carney. I'm the Community Outreach and Graduate Support Manager at Guiding Eyes. Guiding Eyes was founded in 1956. Uh, We are based out of Yorktown Heights, New York, which is just outside of Manhattan. We also have a canine development center where all our puppies are are bred and raised uh, for the first eight weeks of their life in Patterson, New York. And we have a training facility in White Plains. Um, We breed Labradors and German Shepherds. And we graduate about 150 teams a year, give or take. Obviously, that number was a bit smaller during the pandemic, but we've returned to that standard number of ours. As far as the application process, it's pretty standard. You'll find that most guide dog schools, there are the written components, the home interview, and one in which one of our regional guide dog mobility instructors will come out and evaluate your independence in traveling a route in your home area. And we'll also look at your environment to make sure it's safe and suitable for a dog. And then of course, all the medical forms um, as well as part of that application and certifying your visual impairment. Um, as far as our wait time, uh, it really depends on different factors like your pace and environment. So for people who are walking in an average pace range, usually we say that's between 2.9 and 3.3 miles per hour or so. Um and you, you live in a small town or even a smaller a smaller city, usually your wait time with us will be a year or less. Uh, if you are on the faster end of that pace range or slower end, uh, or if you need a city sound dog, which we all know are pretty rare, that wait time will increase. It's also a bit longer for our home training um, applicants only because because we have eight regional guide dog mobility instructors throughout the country, which which is a pretty significant staff, but it still takes a bit longer to coordinate that for obvious reasons. Uh, Another big update of ours in regards to application is we no longer have a vaccination requirement to train on our campus. Um, We're being very uh, close to monitor the COVID pandemic and we feel it's safe to bring students into our classes regardless of their vaccination status. As far as programs offered, we offer a two week residential or home training program. Important to note that our home training program is open to both returning graduates and also first time handlers. Uh, Although we do recommend the immersive program uh, as it does remove any distractions from, from your life so that you can purely focus on training with a guide dog. That training for the two weeks is fully customizable. So you can visit rural environments, Manhattan, anything that suits your lifestyle that would best prepare you for your return home. And you'll also be learning how to care for a dog as well. We do focus on positive reinforcement training. We do use food reward. And we also place a big emphasis on targeting to best assist our graduates in the fields. Guiding Eyes is best known for our follow-up support. We also offer financial assistance for vet care, about $500 a year in addition um, to some emergency funds. Um, And I'm going to turn it over to Mika White to share a bit about how our client experience team at Guiding Eyes has been developing.
7: Um, Hello, I'm Mika White. I am the client navigator for Client Experience Navigators. Um, for our client experience team at Guiding Eyes for the Blind, and um, this team has been um, this team has been formed and has been there for about a year, um, and we've learned a whole lot in a year's time. So, um, so basically, our team is made up of admissions and um, graduate support services um, and the navigators. Um, so, uh, Mix and match of trainers um, who have taken the, who have taken on these new roles as well, and we work with people. Whether you are just calling in because you're interested in in learning more about getting a guide dog, um, we can assist through the application process. If you have any questions or need any assistance, um, once you're accepted and you come into class, we. Um, there's a navigator assigned to class that will be there to help answer questions, or um, if you need to talk with someone because you might be having an issue with a dog, or or anything, um, or anything. We are definitely available. Also, um, after after graduation, we are there for people to to call upon us um, if they are needing follow up services, if they need some troubleshooting. Um, things of that nature. And we work with clients, um, you know, to through the point of retirement. And then when the cycle kind of starts all over again. So it's a, it's a whole lot of, as I say, I get to do a lot of talking at my job um, and I love it. <laughs> the navigators have taken different areas of the, of the country. So um, my areas are, and we work with different field rep or with different um, regional guide dog mobility instructors Um, so basically when you call the school, we have our, we have our own line. So when you call, um, we will definitely be reached and, um, and just in any, however we can best support, um, people who are interested in our school or people who are our current clients. That is definitely, um, that's definitely what we want to do.
6: And this is Melissa again. We will be attending convention in person. You'll be able to meet Mika um, and to share our information, our contact information. If anyone would like to learn more about Guiding Eyes and what we do, Um, we can be reached at email at at clientexperienceatguidingeyes.org or by phone at 888-987-2188. Thank you again.
4: Thanks so much. Uh, before we move on, do um, does Guiding Eyes have any COVID protocol right now while students are in class? Uh, I'm sorry. I, I believe I mentioned that earlier, but just to reiterate,
6: we have waived our vaccination requirement at this yeah, point. Yeah, I heard we that, not... but I didn't...
7: Yeah. There's yeah, no for, testing
6: on or,
4: campus. Yep.
6: No yeah. testing okay. or anything like no that. No yep.
4: masks or. Okay, that's right. what a, a lot of folks have been asking me these questions with regard to what's required in class. Um, yeah, I did understand about the vaccine, but you know some some schools are still requiring masking. So yeah, um, yeah. I just want to make sure that we answer these for folks that uh, are interested in that topic because it does make a difference it's for some folks. It's important. They, that's for sure. sure. Thank you so much, ladies. Okay, so our next uh, presenter is Ben Francis from CNIB Guide Dogs. I am so grateful that we have a Canadian school represented here as we love our Canadian members. So it is all yours, uh, Ben.
8: Thank you very much, Vicki. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, I think we're the we're the lonely, as you said, lonely Canadian school today. I don't know if there's any <laughs> Canadian callers on, um, but hopefully, this information is interesting for the rest of you anyway. So, the CNIB is the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. It's a it's an institution that's been in Canada since 1918, so um, so over 100 years old now. But the guide dog program itself is only six years old. We began back in 2017. Um, with a small group of only two instructors, um, that were, were brought on to basically do a survey in Canada to find out if there was a need for another guide dog school here. There are some other guide dog organizations within Canada, of course, and, and we found after a survey and, uh, and a big tour across the country and reaching out to people that there was a need due to wait times. And, um, and I think for our organization, the CNIB in general, which serves the, the blind and, and people with sight loss across Canada with a variety of different um, programs, um, advocacy and, and education and literature and all that sort of stuff um, that, that guide dog was the missing piece so uh, so we were very happy to join um, join into this and in uh, late last year in November 2022 we finally achieved our accreditation with the International Guide Dog Federation so that was a big feather in our cap um, something that we're very proud of and um it was done virtually, of course, because we went through and everything took longer than expected uh, due to COVID uh, for that accreditation. So we, um, at the IGDF conference this year in Vancouver, we uh, did a little presentation to a small group of people on that experience of what it was like to um, to do an accreditation virtually, uh, which will be followed up by an in-person visit later this year. So we're looking forward to that. But it was overall a very positive experience. Um, so... When COVID hit, obviously within Canada we were a fairly new organization and an exciting uh, piece to the puzzle. Within Canada, we were getting quite a number of people apply to us, um, and that uh, that demand grew exponentially when people weren't able to travel to the United States. Uh, CNIB um, is well known, and most of our clients are already previous CNIB clients, um, so it was a natural fit for them to come to uh, CNIB when it came time to looking for a guide dog. However, we were just a small school with a small number of staff and dogs and things like that, so we weren't able to even come close to that 375 percent increase in demand. Um, we have uh, a good number of people on our wait list at the moment, as you can imagine. So, we're we're our wait times at the moment are anywhere from two to four years for people, believe it or not. So, it's uh, a lot longer um, than what we're aiming for in the future. We want to bring that down quite significantly. As a result, the CNIB has um, um, hired a bunch of apprentices and new staff, as well as from some other staff overseas. So we've significantly increased our numbers of staff um, to the program um, in hopes of building um, that staff base. And our hopes is to spread out across the the country in the coming years so that we have uh, basically regional Doug, mobility instructors um, to be able to provide a closer to home experience for everybody in Canada. At the moment, we're based just outside of Ottawa, and we have um, currently 38 members to our, our staff. Some of them work from our canine campus and others work um, remotely from the Toronto area or other puppy development um. Cities around the country. So we have uh, our puppy teams um, they spread out amongst about five different cities across the country. Um, so that we have uh, volunteers that look after our pups and then they come in for formal training in the uh, Carlton Place area, which is just outside of Ottawa. So that's where our main base of trainers and instructors are at the moment. But our hopes are definitely to spread out um, so that people don't have to travel either to Ottawa or we don't have to send our instructors all the way across the country to go and train people. As you all know, Canada is quite a vast country. um, And for us, a relatively small number of of staff, it's a lot of travel, as you can imagine. So we would like to be able to get to people quicker and and provide that closer to home experience. Um, we don't have a residence for people to do class training in. We're, we're a combination of hotel-based as well as domiciliary-based training. Um, and certainly during COVID, with the numbers that have been lower and the staff ratio is now higher, um, we're able to do most, um, most of our classes on an in-home basis. Or if there's a multiple people, uh, bring one or two people into a nearby hotel and then do a combination of some people um, training from home as well as other people from hotel um, we're really focused on um, you know, the clients and what their needs are and, and trying to accommodate as much as possible. And we're in a bit of a luxury position at the moment because we have, uh, have those staff numbers to be able to, to facilitate that. Of course, we'd like to increase our output as well. So we're, we're really looking to acquire more dogs. And for that reason, we've, uh, we've started a breeding program which we haven't just jumped into um, without knowing what we were doing. We've we've, uh, really been putting a lot of focus on selecting the right dogs and taking all the professional advice that we can onto which dogs we're selecting for breeding. But we did have our first litter of puppies this year, which was really exciting for our program. So we brought in, um, we had five uh, Labrador retrievers born, four black females and one yellow male. um, (laughs) And we're hoping, in that throughout this year we have more and more um, litters uh, we have plans and other other females earmarked uh, we have had collaborations with gdb over in california for uh, some uh, genetic matter for the females that we have earmarked so they've been uh, very generous in helping us out with uh, with that so that we know we're going to be having good quality um, dogs, uh, dogs in our program. We also have plans for a puppy development center just north of uh, Toronto. We've acquired some property and we're looking at putting together a plan at the moment for um, for uh, building that center in the hopes that it'll be ready in a few years time when we have an ample number of breeding stock in our care um, and that we can really start to ramp up operations um, to that degree. Um, so all very exciting. It's uh, it's uh, you know uh, being a part of a new program like this um, is certainly um, a, a, an exciting thing to be part of. Um, the demand is growing. As I say, the wait times are much longer than expected at the moment. Um, one one thing to note is that we are paying for our dogs uh, fully throughout their uh, working life. So we. Um, uh, we pay for all of the dog's food and veterinary expenses and everything like that, and it's only the small extras that uh, are actually at the uh, um, expense of the, the our our clients. So we're very happy to be able to offer that to our uh, to our folks in Canada. Um, we our canine campus I mentioned briefly is um, uh, fully functional now. From from terms of kennels, we have capacity for up to fifty six dogs um, in that in that building at full capacity and currently we have about 25 dogs in training we're training roughly 20 people a year hope in hopes this year um, maybe a little bit more Um, but we're hoping that year over year that becomes more and more Um, our long-term goal is to train between 100 and 150 dogs per year Um, so we're going to be looking at breeding up to 300 dogs per year um, within the next 10 years or so so we really hope to significantly ramp up operations as we spread out across the country Um, So. that's really the the um The main highlights, I think, of our program. Um, We're, we're, you know, continuing to grow, um, looking for more jobs, very, very excited about uh, the opportunity to be able to serve more Canadians and bring down those wait times for people. As far as COVID um, measures go, um, really dropped off significantly. We're following provincial guidelines as it's dictated um, in various provinces across the country. Um, But typically, in in most situations now, there's no masking policies. We're not asking for vaccine uh, certificates or anything like that like that prior to, uh, prior to training. So just to answer the question on COVID there.
9: Mm-hmm.
8: Um, but that's about it, Vicki. Uh, if, if there's any <laughs> questions, we can perhaps address those after. If you have any for me now, please, uh, please go ahead.
4: I have one um, uh, question. You uh, at CNIB Guide Dogs are using the rough wear harness. Can you just take a moment to talk about how you came to that decision as far as uh, that being the best um, harness and it seems like it's working out well. Uh, just yeah. to share a little bit about that if you don't mind.
8: For, for sure. So when we were a small number of staff and we were about six technical staff to begin with, we had um, tried a, a bunch of different harnesses from various places, of, of both places people had worked before, um, harnesses that people had acquired or that we would reached out to other schools in loans. So some of our first Our very first class of six people that went out had harnesses that were a complete mishmash. Some of them were from uh, similar to like the Guide Dogs for the Blind, uh, excuse me, uh, GDB in the UK. And some of them were similar to Leader Dogs because they had lent us some at the time. And so it was a real real mishmash. But during that time, we were developing a Canadian option. Um, with a place called Global Working Harness. And we got a, a bunch ordered from them. And unfortunately, they just weren't working out from a durability standpoint. Um, so we were continuing to look and we'd always known about the roughwear harness. And we did have one in to try uh, that we quite liked. But really, through trial and error and doing a bunch of blindfold walks and getting feedback from our clients, that was the winner that came through in the end. For those of you who aren't aware about the roughwear harness, it's obviously made by roughwear. Um, which is a company down in Bend, Oregon, and um, and they have a, a harness that's um, uh, quite nice. It's a it's a kind of a soft material. It's got a perforated plastic inside, so it's quite breathable. Um, the main difference to it is that it has a single point um, handle attachment on the very back of the harness, rather than the typical two points down the side of the harness. Um, so you've got a handle that's um really quite uh really quite interesting uh, in that it's um, adjustable um so you can adjust the length of it and you can also adjust the orientation of it so it can feel quite a bit more ergonomic um and that handle was really one of the selling features i think um to, to for us to be using that because we don't need a variety of handles to give to people uh, it's really a one a one. Uh, purpose built handle that can uh, suit most people. Um, so it's been great. The, the harnesses are very, um, very durable. They're washable. They come with a little mesh bag that you can throw into the washing machine. So they come out nice and clean. The harnesses that we use are black in color, and then they've got reflective pieces, um, around the outside of, of high visibility. And then our logo itself, uh, which is quite large and brightly white and silver on the side. Um, it, uh, it really stands out quite nicely. So uh, they're, they're pretty slick looking, uh, comfortable for the dogs, quite ergonomic for the dogs as well. They've got a, a wide piece that goes in between the f- to the dog's two front legs and kind of straps up underneath with a clip on each side. Um, so it does have two clips instead of your typical one clip, like a lot of harnesses have. Um, but for the comfort and shoulder movement of the dogs, we found it quite nice and beneficial for them. So that's, the, that's how our uh, harness came to be.
4: Thanks so much, Ben. I'm so appreciative of your attendance here. Thank you.
8: Thank
4: you. Okay, our next presenter will be Patrick Glines from Guide Dogs of Texas.
10: Good uh, morning and afternoon (laughs) to everybody. Uh, Greetings from absolutely sweltering Texas. Guide Dogs of Texas is based in San Antonio, and we serve the great state of Texas. Uh, People who are blind or have low vision. Um, In regards to COVID protocols, as I think most schools have been saying, we're the same in that we no longer have any requirements for masking or vaccinations. Um, However, we are sensitive to, to folks who choose to wear a mask and we allow that and making sure as well if they are immunocompromised or have any issues or have a request that the the staff will mask up as well. Um, But I think like everybody else we're starting to move away from that. Um, I'm fairly new here the school when we're talking about changes we've been through some some fairly significant staff turnover. Um, We've got that stabilized now and we're really in the process of building the program back up. Um, So currently we have two guide dog mobility technical instructors on staff as well as a third year apprentice and we're working on acquiring uh, a guide dog trainer who will become a a GDMI uh, in addition to the, we have eight staff total in addition to the other staff that work in the back office. Um, We're producing, uh, we'll probably put out four or five dogs this year we're fairly small scale. Uh, which is about the standard uh, of the school, but we're working right now very hard on putting a robust apprentice training program in place so that we can grow production into the future, um, doing that in a slow and steady way so that we can ensure quality uh, within the process. Um, In terms of client training, our current model, because we're small, we're able to be fairly flexible. So the standard model is that the client will be on site here with us for several weeks, and then we will complete the training in the home. So we can work on learning all of the fundamentals of guide work mechanics in our controlled environment, um, teach all the basics here, and then we can go home with the client and then deal with any individual uniqueness that everybody has in their home area. Um, But this is customizable for each person. So if a client needs full in-home training, we can do that. If they don't need or want, you know, they're getting their fifth dog and they're like, hey, gotcha. Don't need you to come home with me, but thanks. Clients have that flexibility as well. They're really part of the decision-making process. Um, Like others have said, we train maximizing positive reinforcement and minimizing positive punishment. Uh, we train clients as well in the use of food reward and clicker training. Should the client used to do that, we will we will do an education around that. Um, our wait list, uh, I feel Ben's pain. We also hover between two and three years. Um, like I said, we're in a growth model right now in, in an effort to produce more dogs so that we can get that wait list down. Um, And also, Ben, congratulations on your uh, IGDF accreditation. I think that's it for me, and I appreciate everybody giving us the opportunity to be here and share a little bit about our programs.
4: Patrick, just out of curiosity, what breeds of dogs do you use in your training?
10: That is a great question. We are heavily bread and butter with the Labrador Retriever, We will also do some lab golden crosses and the occasional golden retriever. Um, I'm also working with a breeder in North Dakota who is producing some Labrador poodle crosses for a more uh, hypoallergenic type dog. We will not be using those right now and in the near future, but we're working together to see if that is a possibility in the future of something that we may be able to offer. But for now, today Labradors some cold and some crosses.
4: Thank you so very much, Pat- Patrick. Thank I you. Appreciate it. All right. Our next presenter is Dave Johnson, as well as Man- Melissa Allman. I don't know if Chelsea is here, but uh, they are from the Seeing Eye.
11: Hey there, it's Dave. I, I am here. Melissa had to duck off for another presentation, unfortunately, and Chelsea is yet yet another presentation. So <laughs> it's all it's all me today, uh, unless Melissa has the opportunity to pop in. Um, so we are coming up on a 95th uh, birthday in January, and working on plans to celebrate that, and looking ahead. Um, Combining that with a celebration of the seeing eye dog being the state dog of New Jersey. And our our biggest party will be on our 100th anniversary, however, in um, 2029. Um, As far as COVID goes, we still have some restrictions or precautions, I should say. We're, We're taking vaccinated, unvaccinated. Up until this class, we've been having everybody PCR test before they come. Uh, 72 hours before they come or less. And um, it's been a good safeguard for us. You'd be surprised at the number of people who actually fail the test when they're feeling well and then suddenly get sick. So we've had as many as three people drop off of class because they've had in one class um, um, because they've actually not known they had COVID coming on. Um, PCR tests are getting harder to come by for people, so we're gonna to switch to the home test. And when people arrive here, we ask them to be really cautious when they fly, I ask them to, to mask if they can in a plane. And just for precaution's sake, in the event that someone got sick, while well, the first week of class, we've been masking the first week of class, and then we take them off and do our thing. Other, otherwise, we're back to normal, uh, whatever normal is these days, right? It's changed the world for sure. Um, so most of our services are campus or facility based. Um, I think we serve between 500 and 530 people since uh, our return from the uh, pandemic. And it looks like this year, we're gonna come out around 220 this fiscal year. Um, our waiting list continues to decrease as we as we work on, on uh, getting people through the program. And we also have other models, by the way, we will do home trainings for retrains and uh, home in a way which we consider the the best we can possibly do for people who've done it before, um, start people's training here on campus, make sure that that the the match is solid and then move on to finishing the training at home. It's just um, very staff intensive to do that kind of training as everybody knows. our waiting list is down to a little under 200 people. We were up up over 300. And the good thing is we keep getting new people applying. So as soon as we get the list down, we start adding new people. But I would say we're looking at about a year for most, um, regardless of where you live or, or what your your uh, situation is. We continue to breed German Shepherds, Labradors, and, and Lab Golden Crosses. Um, so, this summer in August, we are going to uh, celebrate and start hosting a CNI seminar for youth once again. We did this program, uh, we stopped it about 10 years ago. We were bringing kids in for two day experiences and they stayed in hotels while we did that experience. But we're going to make use of our own campus during the summer months where we normally wouldn't have students on campus. We always take it a two-week break during the hottest part of the summer and we have this year we started small we're bringing nine young people from around the country in for a one-week educational and fun experience with with seeing eye dogs and next year we hope to to maybe double that and do two two different programs for two weeks Um, we are budgeting for next year to return also to orient and orientation and mobility seminars here on campus. Um, That was a program we started back in the 60s where we brought every major university here for uh, a program, taught them about guides, um, let them work with a dog, let them see our uh, our students learn about uh, some of the troubleshooting things and Juno experiences. Um, We took that show on the road for the last decade because it was cheaper to take the it saved us a lot of money just take the brought the that program on the road and go to those universities and reach a lot of people. Um but uh with that Lucas Frank provided a great deal of that service. He was really the backbone of it and Lucas has decided he's actually going to retire this year. So in September Lucas is Planning retirement. He still wants to do the program for us, but I'm not gonna make him fly all over the country and we've found sure. ways to fund us. So um we are gonna do this on our own campus and, and bring people here hopefully again. So um we have done a lot in advocacy. Melissa Allman is forever busy. She um has put together and launched a program for police in the, in the uh, state of New Jersey. Believe it or not, police receive no training about guide dogs um, and or guide dog laws. And we have some strong laws in New Jersey. And so we developed an online program and worked through um, our police departments and it's been launched so that police can get some training about um, national and state laws. Um, regarding that. Melissa has also just finished up. You've probably heard we we released an advocacy and I advocacy app, which is free on iOS, and we are working on it right now on developing the Android. Uh, So the Android version should be out in a few months. But the the app provides state, provincial, and federal laws for both the U.S. and Canadian handlers to reference. So you can pull stuff up on your smartphone whenever you run into a a pinch. Um, I think I've mentioned before, and we're making good use of good maps. We've had our campus maps so that people can use that for orientation here on the campus while they're here. And our next, uh, our next goal is to launch a, an access survey for all guide dog users, not just our own handlers, but we would like to, to get this out across the country to various people um, to learn about the issues they face with access to public spaces, airlines, and any other uh, issues people might face. Um, we've, we've also increased our advocacy posts on, on Facebook to get some awareness going there. Um, everybody's being challenged by the, the airline regulations, the OT Uh, form and so on. So we want to try and make some headway there. I think that's it for the new news. Um, any (laughs) questions from you, Vic?
4: So, so just, um, this may not be anything you can answer, um, with any, uh, uh, accuracy but how long do you think you might be requiring uh the masking for the first week of class any
11: idea on that um you know I feel the ends coming and and that's just because I know the world's back to normal um we've kept it out of here we've been really lucky we had really good protocols and we've kept it out of here we've had no cases in class whatsoever um eventually it's going to get in here. <laughs> it's going to happen. And I, I have staff, I have two staff members that have it right now. They haven't shared it with anybody. Things are a lot better. We know them. Um, my concern I guess, is, or our concern is what will happen if it does get in here and what that might do to a class environment and how many people that might you know, keep from finishing their experience. So um, I'm thinking as the, PCR test becomes hard to get, and we go to home testing. And there's there's angles to that. Um, the whole thing, both that and the next, might go out the window eventually. But for now, it's served us well. So I, w- I would say give us a few months to see how things go, Vic, and then we'll know. Okay.
4: Great, Dave. I really wish well, no, I do it. I did. Was vague. I <laughs> that did. That was very vague. Did I? Well, it, I understand. Believe me, I do understand. I did see that Melissa Allman came in. Yes, I just got in. back. I don't know what you covered, but I just, just wanted to about let you, you. good. <laughs> um we we can go ahead and move on, Melissa, but thank you so much, right. you know, for, for taking You're part welcome. in this. And it is very possible if you can stick around, we very well might have yep. some advocacy questions for you. So sure. you um gotcha. thanks. Thanks again so much. Okay, so our next presenter will be Jamie Massey from Pilot Dogs for the Blind.
12: Hi, thank you. Um, I just started with Pilot Dogs in December, so I'm quite new here um but pilot dogs was founded in 1950 um our new ceo started about 2 years ago and that's when a lot of the program changes started taking place so um if someone has been with pilot dogs uh you know many years ago i think our program might look quite different to them today um Pilot Dogs was accredited through the International Guide Dog Federation about five years ago um, and we, some fun stuff, we're having our student residence building, uh, it's going through a full renovation and makeover this fall. Um, they're going to do it one wing at a time. So we will still be able to do classes, um, still be able to put dogs out there, but at the same time, we're going to be renovating, um, that building. Our CEO wants the uh, resident area to feel more like a hotel than right now. It's kind of has a dormitory feel, but he wants it to (laughs) feel like you're staying at a hotel. Um, Our class is about 17 days um, for first-time guide dog or first-time pilot dog users. Um, We take about a half day on Sundays, uh, but we know everyone tends to want to get home. So we try and cram it all in. So we don't have that Sunday off like we used to. We do a half day Um, for our pilot dog retrains. So if you're coming back to us, um, that can, those classes can run anywhere from 11 to 17 days. Sometimes we can get you out, out and back home much sooner um, we do offer in-home placement for retrains or um, applicants who have a special medical circumstance, um, but for the most part, we try and get people to come in to pilot dogs for their training. Um, Um, Right now, our class sizes are, we usually have around four to six students in a class, but all training is one-on-one with an instructor. So when you go out and do a training walk, it's just you and the instructor. Um, We are continuously striving to make sure our program is using the best practices and ensuring that our dogs are getting a high level of training standard while using positive reinforcement, um, like most of the other schools. Um, but we have been, you know, taking a look at all of our student lectures, puppy raising material, um, just kind of focusing and making sure that we have this standard in mind. So we're renovating even all, not only our buildings but our um, training methods. Uh, we have a brand new harness. Um, We started making our new harness about um, a year, year and a half ago. Um, But I think we have our final product now. Um, It's really nice. It's very lightweight. And um, we have magnetic clips that guide the handle into the correct spot. And then it clicks in. Um, But uh, we're very excited about our brand new harnesses. Um we kind of looking at matching and uh, class for our students, um, we do a lot of pre-matching before we have students come in for training. Uh, so when we have, you know, a group of five, six dogs ready for class, we are going to look at our waiting list. And um, select the applicants who have, you know, the best match for those dogs. Um, so it's not necessarily a first come first serve. Um, you know, sometimes if the just the right dog is ready for you, your wait your wait might be shorter. But right now, if I gave kind of an average on the wait list, it's about a year, year and a half. Um, so like the other schools were always striving to get that down. Um, But once we have class selected, we have students selected for class, um, there's about a month period with the dog where we're customizing the dog for that student. So um, we have an idea of who the student is for that dog. We're going to start, you know, getting the dog at the right speed, take the dog to all the environments that it looks like that applicant has on their list that they're going to go to. Um, So we are customizing those dogs for those students um we have just purchased some land next to um, our campus and we have started plans for a GNR genetics and reproduction building um so that way we can breed our or sorry grow our breeding program um so that's exciting I just saw the plans for that and um, we're really excited Uh, Right now, our breeds are Labradors, Golden Retrievers. Um, Sometimes we get Lab Golden Crosses. We have a few standard poodles in the program um, for anyone that has allergies. And um, we used to put out German Shepherds. We don't have any right now. Um, But I just got worried that we might have found a good new breeding line for our German Shepherds. So we're working on getting that. Um, We have a orientation mobility instructor who is on staff um, and he can provide a two-week orientation and mobility course uh, for applicants or even non-applicants. So whether someone is wanting to get a guide dog or not, um, they will he will still do a two-week orientation and mobility class for you um, if someone is someone needs it um, the nice thing too about having him on staff is even on class for our um, guide dog classes he's there to be able to provide assistance if someone is needing uh, more support. Um, Our graduate services is uh, continuing to try and improve alumni experience Um, we like to call the graduates on their graduation anniversary, um, not to only check in and see if they need any training advice, but also to provide school updates. Um, new resources, you know, that are available. We like to send them all of the, those things. And then, um, we are able to provide, um, aftercare services in home, like have an instructor come out to your home, uh, if it, if it's needed. Um, but we do try and solve as much as possible remotely. Um, pilot dogs has just started to cover all of the cost of routine vet care for the dog. Um, We uh, do a reimbursement program for dog food. um, And then we do have a, you know, any extra vet expense out of normal care. We do have um, it's by a case by case basis. COVID protocol, we're pretty much back to normal. We don't require vaccines um, or testing prior to coming to class, but we do keep tests on hand if during class someone is symptomatic. Um, And then we have a student room uh, that is separate from the rest of the hall, so we can move them over there if someone comes up positive. Um, But that's it for pilot
4: dogs. Oh, thank you so much. Um, uh, I don't, I don't, I might have missed this uh, as I was, my victor decided to act up on me. Um, How long is your class, your training class? Sure. It is um, 17 days for
12: like first time pilot dog users. But if someone is a retrain, um, we try and get it to be around like between 11 to 17 days, depending on like their skill level and what they need. Um, And then if someone is an in-home placement, um, again, kind of depending on what they need. Uh, But we did one recently that was about a week long, but he had had many pilot dogs in the past. So um, it was pretty easy in-home placement. Um, But someone's coming in brand new, you're looking at about 17 days.
4: Thank you so very much, uh, Jamie. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, our next presenter will be Jake Koch from Guide Dogs for the Blind. The floor is yours, Jake.
9: Thank you very much, Vicki. Good to be here. Good morning, good afternoon to everybody, to my colleagues. Uh, Good to hear your voices. Um, Hope everybody's doing well, to ACB members. um, Thanks for your interest in the annual uh, GDY programming, you guys do a great job. So my name is Jake Cook, I'm a community outreach specialist here at Guide Dogs for the Blind, celebrating 10 years with the org and 15 years this July of handling guide dogs personally. So it's, a um, can't believe it, time flies. So a lot to get through here. Uh, guide Dogs for the Blind, we provide a whole host of service before, during and after your time with us. And I will go through some of those services. We provide orientation and mobility immersion program training. This is a one week uh, program that provides 25 hours of instruction. So if you need O&M, this could be a program for you. It's primarily designed to bridge the skills gap between what you have and what you would need to be successful with a guide dog. It is not required uh, for you to apply for a guide dog from our school to receive training, but uh, we do emphasize those non-tactile travel skills and you do uh, receive about 25 hours of instruction. Uh, it is both residential based and in-home based. So we have um, three O&M instructors on campus. Well, a new one is just coming on board. And then we have three field instructors that just provide in-home O&M immersion program training uh, spread out throughout the country. Uh, that leads us to our Canine Buddy program. This is for both youth and adults. So if you decide that you'd like to benefit from the companionship that the human animal bond provides, but you don't have a use for a guide dog, our Canine Buddy Program could be a great option for you. Uh, These are specially selected dogs from our breed stock um, that are not guide dogs. They're also not categorized as service animals. I really want to underscore this point. They are well-trained pets. They're not even emotional support animals. So they are not covered under any access laws. Um, They're a well-trained pet, um, but they can uh, be a wonderful addition to your life. So um, that's another program that we offer as well. It is a national program currently. Uh, That brings us to our guide dog uh, program, which we're most uh, known for. Now this is both national and international. We serve the clients in all 50 states and the entire country of Canada. We have roughly 2,200 active graduates in the field at any one time. We offer both a two week residential style training program with a two to one client to instructor ratio and take a maximum of six students. Uh, we could also provide an in-home training program which lasts between 10 and 14 days. It's a one-to-one training program done in your home and is reserved for those folks that may not be able to travel to our campuses for you know a personal reason. Could be a single parent, uh, can't get time off work, uh, etc. We do provide round-trip transportation from your home to our campus as well as all of our services being free of charge including two weeks of instruction, room and board, Um, the dog, and then lifetime follow-up support. We do not have uh, specific COVID protocols in place, although we do respect everybody's uh, personal health decisions. So if you'd like to wear a mask, if you'd like to PCR or rapid antigen test yourself, uh, or if you'd like our assistance through our nursing department, we can certainly assist with that as well. But in terms of the org, we do not have any formalized um, COVID protocols anymore. Our wait time is about 11 months on average, could be a little bit shorter, it could be a little bit longer. Uh, we are uh, headquartered in San Rafael, California, just outside San Francisco, and have an additional sister campus in the very exciting town of Boring, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> that is where I am speaking to you from today. And after 10 years, I still can't say it with a straight face. Uh, so there you go. Uh, in terms of applying to our programs, um, we require uh, the following. Uh, Legal blindness, previously completed orientation and mobility uh, training. You can't get that. See our own immersion program. And three examples of destination routes. Uh, This applies to our guide dog training program, not the Canine Buddy uh, program. Um, So that's a bit about guide dogs for the blind. The breeds that we use, uh, we do breed our own stock of Labradors, about 70% golden retrievers about 10% and the golden retriever Labrador crossbreed. And that makes up the remaining 20% of our breed stock. Uh, Apart from that, we do provide uh, a suite of follow-up services including our telephonic support center staffed by guide dog instructors, guide dog handlers and veterinarians. We also uh, provide annual in-person follow-up which can also um, be done telephonically if you would prefer and a veterinary financial assistance program In short, it's insurance for your dog that you don't have to pay for. If you need our help, we'll help you. If you don't need our help, no problem. And and then if that's not enough, we also have an alumni association, which um, involves all kinds of social and um, advocacy type activities uh, driven by our alumni and our alumni board. So that's a little bit about GDB. I could talk a lot more, but I will um, uh, save it. And if people have questions, do let me know. We will be at convention. Come visit us in the exhibit hall. Um, and we look forward to seeing you.
4: Thanks so much, Jake, and I apologize for mispronouncing your last name.
9: (laughs) No problem. Most people do.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we are going to move on to Guide Dog Foundation, and I'm not exactly sure. Is it Cameron and Megan? uh, You'll have to tell me who you are.
13: Hi, Vicki. Yes, this is Cameron Meyer. I am the graduate support manager, and I do have one of our graduate support staff, Megan Dodder, on as well. So I will be giving the school update and then I have to jump to another meeting, but she will stick around to answer any of the questions later on. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. The Guide Dog Foundation is located in Smithtown, New York. We are out on Long Island, and we've been around since 1946. Um, We currently use Labrador Retrievers, Golden Retrievers, and Lab Golden Crosses, and we have both a on-campus residential program, and we're able to do home training models as well on an as-needed basis, or whenever we have filled our class and we have extra dogs, we will make sure we get the rest of those dogs out on home trainings, so Our residential model is a two-to-one instructor-to-student ratio, and our average class size is six to eight students. And then after graduation, we do have our graduate support team that can support all of our graduates nationwide through continued education. Um, We do virtual, in-person, and phone aftercares. I think all the guide dog schools can agree that during COVID we have learned how to use technology even more to be able to offer more assistance to you guys and see what we can do via, via FaceTime if we aren't able to get out there in person. So we use any option that we have to work with our graduates. Um, for, we have a few exciting updates. So our student residents recently went through a renovation project. Um, So we were able to install individual heating and air conditioner units in each room so graduates can control that themselves. Um, We have new paint and floor throughout all of our residential hall and rooms, and we also have new mattresses. So (laughs) it is a beautiful update. Anyone who has been to our campus, um, you won't recognize it when you come next time. And we are happy to have people come out and see the changes that we have done. Another fun update is David Lachlin has actually joined our organization as our new chief program officer. He joined us in April. We are thrilled to have him as part of the team, and look he is looking forward to meeting and supporting all of our applicants and graduates. Now, with David joining, that does not mean that we lost Brad Hibbard. Um, he just moved into a different role as our chief strategy officer. So he's going to be continuing to work with our program to see how we can continue to grow and enhance our program for all of our future applicants and current graduates. And we also had our three apprentices. They just finished their three-year apprenticeship and are fully qualified GDMIs as of March 2023. So we have three new fully qualified GDMI's to help us with training and placement, and we are hoping to open up our search for a new apprenticeship here in this next year. For other training updates, we have removed our requirements for COVID vaccines or testing prior to coming into our residential program. Um, We still recommend wearing a mask when you're traveling to and from campus, but on campus we do not require the use, but you are obviously Um, Welcome to where if that is more comfortable for you. We still have our Poodle program on hold. So due to the extended wait list, we are not actively adding any new applicants to that list. If someone has had a Poodle from our program before and they're returning graduate, um, they can apply to that list. But we are not adding any new individuals to the list right now. So we can prioritize matching those that are already waiting. Overall, our wait time for new applicants can vary from nine to 18 months. As we all discussed, it really depends on the needs that you have and identifying that best match for you. So we do have a larger window of time, but it can range from nine to 18 months. Um, to continue to work on getting that weight down, Uh, We do have our sister organization, America's Vet Dogs, so we train service dogs for veterans and first responders. But over the years, we've actually had some of our qualified GDMIs move over to be duly trained and be able to train both of those. So this is a wonderful opportunity now that we can reallocate some of those instructors to move them back to our guide dog side to make sure that we can keep getting guide dogs out there for everyone on our wait list and shorten that list up for our applicants. I believe that is all that we have. If you have a direct question for me, I'm happy to answer it now. Otherwise, Megan will be able to represent us in questions later on.
4: I think you covered everything very well. And thank you so much, Megan, for sticking around as we will be opening things up for questions. Um, after our last presenter. So thank you very, very much. Thank you. All right, our next presenter will be Greg Steinmetz from Guide Dogs of America.
14: Thank you, Vicki. Um, I am the manager of admissions and graduate services for Guide Dogs of America. We are located in Silmar, California, just outside of Los Angeles. And uh, we breed, raise, and train um, primarily Labrador Retrievers uh, and Labrador Golden Retriever Crosses for our program. We um, provide a 21-day residential training program uh, here at our campus. And our classes range from six to nine students per class. And we strive to maintain a three-to-one ratio of students to instructors. Uh, we serve Uh, clients from throughout the u.s and canada and provide uh, round-trip transportation uh, housing uh, the guide dog and the training all at no cost to our clients Um, we uh, recently um, our director of programs retired this year Uh, yvonne has been here for almost 30 years Uh, Our new director of programs, Jamie Hunt, has had uh, a long career in training guide dogs. And um, we're looking at revamping um, a lot of our training. Uh, We still use a positive reinforcement um, model here at Guide Dogs of America. And um, we have two qualified guide dog mobility instructors, a third year apprentice, and two first year apprentices um, that began their training this year. And uh, graduate services are here to support our teams throughout the uh, career of their working dogs. Um, we instituted a monthly uh, Zoom meeting for all of our graduates uh, when COVID first um, started and we had a shutdown. Uh, we actually did it a weekly call just to make sure that everyone was doing okay. And then we moved to a monthly uh, schedule uh, where we either have... Uh, a guest speaker or topic uh, that uh, either relates to guide dog mobility or um, vision loss. Um, We um, provide graduate services um, either virtually or in person should the need arise. And um, for our COVID protocols, we no longer require vaccination or testing. Uh, Masks are no longer required in the state of California. Uh, or in Los Angeles County. We certainly have um, protocols in place should uh, someone um, become or, or symptomatic. Um, I'm happy to say that during uh, the last uh, three years that we have not had a case of COVID here on campus during class. Um, and um, we uh, started um, doing in-person classes back in 21. Um, so we're uh, average wait list is about six to nine months currently. And um, we are happy to, to share that this is our 75th year of providing guide dogs to people who are blind or visually impaired.
4: Congratulations on that. Thank
14: you. Thank Girl. you.
4: Okay, Um, thank you so very much, Greg. So I'm going to give
2: the ending CEU codes for um, the first session, please. Those, the ending code is 77307. Again, 77307. Beginning second session CEU codes. This is again a double session. So the second session beginning CEU code. Five, six, five, nine, one again, five six,
4: five, nine, one, Thank you, Thank you, Andrea. Thank you so much. um yeah, we want to make sure to get all this important stuff covered, okay, Our next presenter will be Leslie Hoskins, whose name I tried to give away earlier from Leader Dogs. The floor is yours, Leslie. <laughs>
15: Hi, Vicki. Thank you so much, and it's exciting to be here. And it's so great to hear everybody's updates and know what everybody's up to. So I appreciate this. But my name is Leslie Hopkins. I am the Outreach Services and Community Engagement Manager at Leader Dogs for the Blind. I'm also a certified Orientation and Mobility Specialist. Uh, so Leader Dogs for the Blind was established in 1939, and we are located in Rochester Hills, Michigan. Uh, currently, we are providing a guide dog program orientation and mobility. We also have a youth own-in program and then also a teen summer camp. So our guide dog program is being offered in a residential format, which is clients coming to campus for 21 days. We also have an in-home opportunity for clients who can't come to campus for 21 days as we recognize that's a big commitment. Our in-home program is usually around 10 days long and that's when a guide dog mobility instructor would bring a dog to the person's home area. We also have a flex program, which is kind of a combination of those two. Maybe a client can come to campus for a week or two and then receive some follow-up support directly after in their home area. Our last guide dog program is our adaptive services and our deaf blind team. So we do offer services to individuals who are both blind or visually impaired and or deaf or hard of hearing. And then our adaptive services also covers an umbrella of uh, additional disabilities or any kind of specialized training that anybody might need. Um, As far as our breeds, we have Labradors, Golden Retrievers, and Lab Golden Crosses. Currently, I would say our wait list is anywhere between six months and a year. Our application process is very similar to what we've heard so far. We do not require an in-home visit, um, but otherwise all of the documents and materials are going to be the same as previously mentioned. Um as far as new programs go we the youth OM, as i mentioned is a new program that we are offering to 16 and 17 year olds to come and bring a support person with them and stay in a local hotel and it's kind of nice cuz there's a program for the student to receive those OM services but then also some parent support uh, just to go back to our typical O&M program, it is one week long, and it is both offered in residential and in-home. That program's available to anyone, whether or not they're interested in working with a guide dog in the future. Um, but if they are, we are certainly here to help them with those uh, goals and skill sets. We are looking forward to being at the convention in person. We will have two guide dog mobility instructors there representing us, and I believe we're at booth number 38, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> Um, and let's see, COVID restrictions. We currently don't really have anything similar to everybody else. If somebody is symptomatic, we do have protocols put in place. If somebody is requesting that we wear masks around them, we will certainly uh, adhere to that and make sure that everybody is feeling comfortable within this environment. Our class sizes on average are probably anywhere from eight to 10 people right now with sticking with a ratio of either three to one or two to one. And um, I think that's probably about everything. Did I miss anything?
4: (laughs) Well, it was pretty conclusive, so I think you've covered it very well.
15: <laughs> oh, I know. I'm sorry. The last thing I did want to, I apologize, you for getting you off as I'm saying that. Um, the last thing I do want to mention, we do have a couple of virtual things that we've been doing since COVID. Like all of you, everybody's gotten very creative. We are doing monthly webinars called Collaboration Events, where we partner with other organizations or agencies to share resources within the blindness and low vision field. Everybody's welcome to join those. You can find that at our website, leaderdog.org. We also created a new virtual learning resources page uh, where you can find out information about guide dog readiness or our O&M program or campus tour or client testimonials. All of that can be found at leaderdog.org. And lastly, I'll leave you with that we have started a podcast called Taking the Lead by Leader Dogs for the Blind, and you can find that wherever you stream podcasts.
4: Thank you so, so very much. <laughs> Lots of wonderful info. All right, we are moving on. Gretchen Fisher from Fidelco Guide Dogs.
16: Oh, hello, everybody. Um, I always also enjoy attending the panels and, and hearing everybody's updates. It's just terrific to be you know, uh, one of the many organizations who, you know, work hard and try to be innovative, so it's really great to hear what's going on. Um, so Fidelco is, our two specialties are German shepherds only, and we also do only in community training. We have no campus. We are based in Connecticut. Uh, we began as a breeding organization of shepherds in the 19, in 1960, uh, Roberta and Charlie Command were, uh, began breeding shepherds for working dogs, and they were providing some of those working dogs to other guide, to the guide dog schools in the you know <clears throat> excuse me in the Northeast. Um, in 1981, we became our own guide dog school, and we have been working since then uh, diligently, you know, to continue to uh, maintain and improve our shepherds and uh, our breeding programs and our our uh, you know student instruction programs. We are a small school. So, uh, I've been there for probably about 20 years. I'm an instructor and we, I mean, like a big year was probably 50 people placements in one year. These days we're probably, you know, I, I think we maybe will have 20 placements this year. I'm not sure. Um, I can't, re- I can't remember the, the numbers for this year. So one of the, um, and one of the things we are contending with also is long wait times. So <laughs> It used to be, you know, we could say to people 6 to 12 months, well, post-COVID, we are still 18 months, 24 months. Um, In fact, it was getting so long, and it was proportionally outgrowing the number of dogs we were having available every month so quickly that we have, um, for the moment, and this is, uh, you know, again, this is just for the moment, we have reduced our geographic footprint We uh, normally service all 48 states, but we have withdrawn from some of the Western states until we can get caught up. So um, what I'm saying to everybody is, if you have any questions as to whether or not we are serving your state, if you're a new applicant right now, please contact us directly um, because I I prefer to answer those questions on a case by case basis. So I can address where everybody is currently living, and then in another year or two, we're going to be assessing how far behind on the wait list it, that we are. But really, we were just um, you know concerned about. Um, having a wait list that we couldn't possibly keep up with, especially given that we are in community and we only have shepherds and they have, you know, they have their own unique qualities that need to be nurtured through our program. Um, I think some, so I should add, uh, we do have two duly certified GDMI's and o and on staff. We do not instruct orientation and mobility skills, but, um, and I happen to be one of them, but it's great to have that as a resource for our staff and for our guide dog users, um, you know, to just really provide some of that that, um, background and, and looking at what sometimes come up as complex issues in the field. Our application process begins with a phone interview, Um, If that goes forward, uh, we send an application. We do have an in-person interview process. um, And then uh, once people are accepted from there, it can be 18 to 24 months at this point before we're able to, you know, match somebody with a dog. Uh, One of the new fun things, like a lot of the other schools, we do participate in the International Working Dog Registry, and that has to do with breeding and genetics. And we have started... um, we have started the sur- sending out an annual survey to gather data. Uh, and, you know, in the past, we worked We worked to maintain data on our guide dogs in the field, but for this that we're going to be doing every year, we are going to be including all dogs that have gone out for adoption, as well as puppies living with the puppy raiser families. So that's going to, we really want a comprehensive view of all of our dogs, and we've never really done that with the dogs who have gone out for adoption. Um, so that's that's exciting from a genetic standpoint to really be able to capture that. Um, and uh, you know, I think um, I know we're going long on time here. I would say that's probably the nutshell version. I, I always encourage anybody with questions beyond this to co- certainly contact us. I am more than happy to answer questions, including if people are parents and who have you know children or maybe who have folks who have family members and they're not sure how to you know manage those kinds of conversations with a family member. I'm happy to provide information about guide dogs. Um, and also to people who are exploring the idea. So, uh, thank you for the time that we have here today. I think this is an awesome organization, and um, and I will not be at ACB this year, unfortunately. But it's just terrific to have this chance here today. So, thank you.
4: Thank you so very much, Gretchen.
17: This is Becky Floyd. I'm with Gallant Heart Sky Dog Center, and we'll try this again. Um, Let's go COVID first. We have no COVID uh, protocol in place. Um, we, of course, bring the dog to you anyway. And so we do whatever is being done in your area. Like if your area is re- requiring people to wear masks, that's what we do. Um, so COVID is not an issue for us right now. Um, we are, uh, of course, training dogs uh, German Shepherd dogs, uh, Golden English Cream, Golden Retrievers, and um, Doberman Pinschers. We have an occasional Standard Poodle who is donated by a very responsible breeder. Uh, the other three uh, breeds we have uh, breeding programs in. Um, we have. Um, we're improving, trying to improve our German Shepherd breeding program uh, to get dogs that are sound in both body and mind. And uh, so if any of the schools out there have a good German Shepherd breeding program uh, and would like to help us a little bit, we would love the help. Um, we uh, train the dogs Well, of course, we have the puppy raisers just like everybody else. And we have a pretty good puppy raiser program now. Um, We then get the dogs in at about 18 months of age and uh, do their hip and elbow x-rays and submit those to Orthopedic Foundation for Animals uh, for a really good evaluation of hips and elbows. We then uh, put the dogs in the harness training program and... um, teach them to become guide dogs. Um, we select uh, from our applicants, someone whose needs um, this dog could meet. Uh, so it's not a first come, serve, first serve basis. We do a, try to do a good job of matching dog and, and applicant. We um, then take the dog to the person uh, in almost every case and stay um, a week with those who have had dogs before probably um, but certainly up to 10 days if we need it. Um, we stay longer if, if we need it for first time people. Um, so we um, then um, are trying to grow very slowly. We were uh, organized in 2009 um, and, uh, since then we have grown, uh, we provide about, we've been providing, providing six to eight dogs a year. Now we're going to hopefully do a little bit better than that because we recently employed a part-time, uh, GDMI and, uh, she is, uh, training some dogs for us now too. Uh, we are, um, uh, an applicant. An applicant status for uh, IGDF. And uh, we should be sitting this year for uh, our full membership, hopefully. Um, we are, um, let's see, what else do I need to tell you? Uh, I'm anxious to get to the question answers period. That's, that's where the meat is mm-hmm. and where you get the information that you need. I can sit here and talk to you all day But uh, we have recently um, built a whelping kennel. of course, we're a small school. So we built a small whelping kennel. Uh, We have, um, we could accommodate as many as five litters. Hopefully we won't ever have to do that because we don't have enough staff to, (laughs) we would be up 24 hours a day. Um, We um, do have the the whelping kennel and it's uh, a tremendous benefit to us um, because it's separate from the other population, the other dogs, and it's, uh, uh, quieter, and, uh, we, you know, it, it just gives us more room, um, we have a few kennels, and we can put puppies in two or three different runs if we need to, um, but we, um, are growing slowly. And when I we started gallon Hearts um, back in 2009, I said, I don't want us to ever be a big school. I want us to be very small and very personalized. And that's what we're trying to, to stay. Um, we do have a significant waiting list, however. Uh, for some, it will be as much as at, at least two years, maybe more. Some for some it may be only a few months, depending on their needs and the dogs we have in training at the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
17: Um, so that tells you a little bit about Gallon Hearts. Uh, there's a whole lot more I would love to tell you, but um and, a, and because of the time restrictions, I'll stop and talk to you again during questions and answers.
4: Rebecca, thank you so much for working with us. We certainly did not want to miss what you had to share. So thank you so much for that. Okay, we are at the final school and it's certainly last, but certainly not least. Guide dogs of the desert, is it Karen Gates?
18: Well, hello everybody. Well, I cannot believe. I- <laughs> It's been a year. I feel like I was just in Nebraska at ACB and here we are again, right? So all I can say is what a difference a year has made, Um, especially for Guide Dogs of the Desert. We have been quite busy. Um, We have in the last year, we have refreshed our dorms. It wasn't quite the overhaul that we were hoping for, but... They got a new paint job, they have new bedding, new, cozy, comfortable um, things in those rooms. So when you're there, we're trying to make it as comfortable and cozy for you when you're here in the desert. And for those of you who do not know where we are, we are located in um, Southern California in Whitewater, which is actually um, just outside of Palm Springs. And we're about two hours east of Los Angeles. Um, Being that we are in the desert, it does limit us to um, how many on-campus trainings we can have but we think we still do pretty well. Uh, We do trainings up here in the spring. We try to do two trainings in the fall and then one training in the winter. And we have been starting kind of some hybrid trainings that we've done. We had a gal come out, work with us here on campus for a week. And then one of our trainers went home with her and worked with her at home for a week. And then we also have been doing some in-homes so just um, moving through our wait list, I know like everybody else with COVID that um, got us a little stuck, but I think we're, we're pretty good. We've, we've worked through the wait list and we're starting to um, get our placements out. Uh, We here at Guide Dogs of the Desert, we're kind of known as the standard poodle school. Uh, We have a wonderful line of poodles that we breed here on campus, as well as Labrador Retrievers. So those are the two breeds that we work with here. Uh, Our training on campus is a 28-day training for new guide dog users. For retrains, we can do a 21-day training. Sometimes we may push that to the 28-day training. Just depends on how it's going, uh, depends on the breed, and if you've worked with that type of breed before. Uh, We have been hiring staff and promoting staff and getting things going so we can um, just continue to ramp up. We now have two GDMI's on campus here. We have two uh, first year apprentices and we also did hire a O&M, which has been fantastic because she's been able to work with our local applicants who have had the need for more o and So she's been able to go out and give them the training that they've so been missing out here. So that's been wonderful. Uh, we also have hired two. Well, we had one puppy trainer. We hired another puppy trainer. So we're really focused on the training aspect with the dogs. So these puppy trainers are working really hard with our puppy raisers, because as we know, good puppies make good guide dogs. So we're um, moving forward with that. Uh, uh, When it comes to COVID, we too have relaxed all of our COVID protocols Uh, So no masking, no uh, vaccinations are required and no testing is required, but we do have protocol if someone does come down with COVID while they're here. Um, And Greg, I want to thank you for that. Greg was um, great. I reached out to him to kind of ask him what they were doing. So thank you so much, Greg. Um, And let's see what else. Our wait list, we... um, You know, we say six to 18 months, and that's always once all your application uh, requirements are in, that's about the time frame we're looking at. Because we don't have any classes in the summer, it kind of depends on when you got all of your paperwork into us, but... My goal is to get people through faster, and um, we're starting to do that. So that's great. So we're looking at about 6 to 18 months. Um, Let's see. What else can I tell you guys about us up here? Uh, Moving forward, we, we, like the other guide dog schools, we use positive reinforcement Uh, positive reward for our guides, and um, we're just happy to be pushing forward. Our goal is to get in about four to five classes per year. Uh, In class, we will never have more than six students, so very small. Um, And we also, like some of the other guide dog schools, We like to customize our dogs. So again, we work on that same um, process where it isn't, first come, first serve, it's more what dog is going to be the best match for what student. So, um, in the application process, we, you know, I always tell everybody I'm really nosy because I want to know about, you know, people who are applying and what their needs are. So, uh, we really work with that um, so we can get that best match between the handler and the guide
19: dog.
4: Wow. That's that's just amazing. It's so exciting to hear what's going on. It sounds like you are expanding and sounds like things are going great. And it's great to hear that.
20: Yes.
4: Okay. Wow. What a lot of information we have been inundated with and I love it. It's wonderful. Now, before we get to the question and answer time, I just want to say that I know that many folks who may have questions may have a personal relationship with someone on the panel. And believe me, I absolutely understand that. And the temptation would be to reach out in a personal way. And as much as we would love to allow that, we cannot at this point because we want to make sure that there is plenty of time for a general question of either a specific school or the schools in general. So as tempted as you might be, to interact in a personal way with a particular school, um, I'm going to ask that you refrain from that and just structure your questions in a general way so that the information that will be shared will be interesting to everyone here. So that being said, I will turn this back over to Andrea and she can start going through the raised hands. Thank you, Andrea. Come on, please go ahead. Some of the schools now are no longer um, using goldens, but more often using lab golden crosses. And I wondered what the uh, uh, reasoning was for that. Excellent question. So who on our panel might like to tackle that question?
9: This is Jake with Guide Dogs for the Blind. While we do use golden retrievers, I can certainly speak to some of the reasoning behind the cross. So we're always looking to maximize the success rate. Right now, ours hovers around 50-ish percent. and so to do that, we look at traits that make a good guide dog, and we try to utilize our breed, we uh, breeds, and we also try to diversify our gene pool. So in doing so, that's how we're able to, you know, produce as many um, dogs that are going to be successful in our programs. So both Labradors and Gold Retrievers, of course, are very intelligent, uh, very easy to train and maintain. Um So kind of putting the two together and meshing the the attributes that uh, one uh, may have or another may have sort of helps to um, give us a third option in terms of um, dog selection within our program without introducing a totally different breed. Um, So it helps us at Guide Dogs to the Blind, anyway, maximize our um, breeding stock potential.
4: Thank you, Jake. Okay, Andrea, we okay, can go next on. Okay, next we the have it. Margie Donovan. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you, Vicky. Thank you, Maria. What a wonderful program. Thank I you. I want to talk about the um, Buddy Program, what GDB calls it, and I don't, I'm sorry, I've, I've, I've got grandchildren, so I'm doing three things at
2: once right now. Um, I would like any schools that have a similar program,
4: regardless of the name, to address it. I clearly heard, And I'm glad to hear that they are pets. I just came back from a Northern California Family Camp for the Blind where we had several buddy dogs and they were all off leash and it was problematic and the staff handled it. But I'd like to address how you guys follow up with your buddy program. I think it's an awesome concept and what the expectations are. Uh,
9: This is Jake again. I'll start uh, for our canine buddy program. It's essentially the same service you receive as a guide dog handler. So what I mean by that is the structure is the same. So you apply, um, you're interviewed by the admissions department. Um, We don't just uh, take sort of first come, first serve, whatever dog we've got running around the kennel. Um, We actually match the dog to the person's particular needs. So um, if this is somebody that um, enjoys a dog with a stronger or higher control factor, we can do that. Most of our canine buddies have a much lower control factor. Our range is one through four. They're usually a CF2 or three. So um, we make sure that the dog is appropriately matched with the family, that the family and or individual know what they're getting themselves into, what the dog's primary role is, and we expect them to take care of the dog as, uh, just like our um, guide dog graduates. So you know, no loose dogs or interfering or any, anything like that. Um, They also have access to our follow-up programs. So that means the support center, our um, field service managers can also provide in the field support. So if there's any challenges that they're having in terms of their ability to handle the dog in the home or any behavioral challenges that the dog has, we can address those as well. And then, of course, the veterinary financial assistance program. So they're essentially a member of our community. They're treated as such and we provide the same level of support and take the same level of responsibility um, as we would with our guide dog program, dogs.
5: Okay, thank you, Jake. This is Jennifer Johnson with Southeastern Guide Dogs. We also have a program, it's more, we call it a companion program, a skilled companion program, and that's for children with visual impairment, adults with visual impairment, and um, military families, Gold Star families. And uh, our process is the same as uh, what Jake was describing. They go through an application. We um, do references and things like that on them to make sure that our dogs are still being placed with, with um, reputable families. And uh, we do match them as well, as Jake said. So we want to match the dog to the particular need of the individual or the family. And yes, they are still pet dogs. They are companions. They have no no access rights. And we make it very clear as we're going through the application process, as we're going through the placement process and the match process, uh, and then in the contract, of course, we make it very clear that this dog is a companion and cannot be used or retrained as any kind of a, um, a service or guide dog uh-huh. or something with access. So, so we do follow throughout the process to make it very clear that the dog is a companion.
21: Oh, what the hell? I'm just listening.
4: Thank you so much. Is there anyone else who would like to comment on this?
8: Hi, it's Ben Francis here from CNIB Guide Dogs up in Canada. Uh, We too have a buddy dog program for uh, Canadian children aged seven to 16 years old who are blind or partially sighted. Um, Again, very similar to how the other two uh, explained, um, about the application process, we do an in-home interview as well with the child and the family members. Um, one of the things that's really important is that they have a parent or family member who's willing to help the, the responsibility of walking the dog. So we do like a double leash walk with the child and the dog, and the dogs are trained with that. They're all uh, typically in a gentle leader uh, for control purposes. Um, but again, they're a well-trained pet dog uh, that allows the uh, the uh receiver of the dog, the child, to learn about all the daily responsibilities and ownership um um of of having a dog so the feeding and the 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 general care this is not a god dog training you know i'm sorry
19: (laughs) i forgot i was unmuted oh my gosh i'm so
22: sorry i just didn't understand the program i'm sorry
8: Okay. Um, no, so that's these are, why these I are, I mean. that are I'm sorry. These are dogs that are not going to become guide dogs. and They've already. They, they typically start out as guide dogs in training, but they've. We've decided that they're not going to become a guide dog, so uh, we will consider them, and they are assessed uh, potentially as a buddy dog, um, or we have an ambassador dog program as well. Uh, but again, they are well trained pet dogs with no access rights, and we do provide yearly support um, or support on a as needed basis for those uh, children and families with those buddy dogs. Thank you.
4: Great, terrific. Okay, is there anyone else? All right, Andrea. Let's move on to our next question.
19: Okay, it is from Tennessee. Um, this is for Dave Johnson. First of all, I am one hundred percent in support of your current protocol for COVID. I say, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, secondly, one question that I did have that I think I missed in your presentation. Is your advocacy app now available or is that still in testing protocol? I was doing two things at once.
11: Uh, The advocacy app is available for iOS users in the Apple Store and the App Store. And uh, we are developing the Android application as we speak.
23: And, and so, so all you have to do, this is Melissa Allman, and start, sorry, I tried I to unmute myself, myself, but I'm not, my, my computer, computer didn't want to be my friend. So, so anyway, anyway, you um, can go, go to the um, Apple, Apple Store just and just put in Seeing Eye Advocacy, advocacy and that, that will make, make it very easy for you to, to find, find and download the app. app. It is free, and um, um, it, it is available in the U.S. and Canada. Or you can go to our website, which is slash Access and, and there you can find information, information um, on
2: the app as well. Melissa, you're echoing. I, your speakers <laughs> may be turned up too high. I don't know, but you're really echoing. We can hear How you, else? but you've got a big echo. How's
19: so, this? Is, how's is
2: that, that better?
19: There do no. seem to be No, not abused. really. Uh-uh. But, okay. but thank, you know very,
2: thank you. Thank you very much for your information. Okay, Charlene. You yes. Take
19: the talk, please. Thank you. Um, this question is for Fidelco, Gretchen. Uh, I'm wondering if people who, well, first of all, when did you begin to to not come out to the West Coast again?
16: Um, that was just a few months ago, and that is for new applicants coming in now. So if somebody calls now and lives in California, um, we are currently, and again, this is a temporary measure, um, currently not taking new applicants from California. So anybody who um, is a, you know, a successor applicant or anybody who's already accepted into the program, this doesn't affect anybody in that situation.
2: Okay. Viola
19: Benson, please. Hello, everyone. Great presentation of all the schools. I like to hear. I like to hear from other schools that some of them I've never even I've haven't heard of. So it's uh, thank you. Guide dogs for the blind. Um, Since I have had four dogs from the school, um, would I be able to be involved in the buddy program my husband will not allow me to have a a regular pet dog but I think maybe this way I could get around it and have a for or you know career changed or whatever they call it now um and have a dog from the school um I loved having a dog and I miss it but I don't get out enough you know I work at home so uh you know, I don't go out uh, to the workforce anymore. So thank you and uh, say hi to Brad for me. I was in his class.
9: Yeah, this is Jake with Guide Dogs for the Blind. Thanks for your question. Absolutely, if you'd like to apply for a canine buddy, you are uh, welcome to do that. That's the whole intent of the program is to serve youth uh, with visual impairments, but also to serve our graduate community as well that may have a change in life. So if you'd like a canine buddy dog, uh, it's a similar application process to what you're familiar with with the guide dog application. Uh, so just visit the website, our website, guidedogs.com, and uh, we'd love to uh, hear from you again.
5: Okay, next we have Deb Bearstein. Um My question is directed basically to Dave Johnson or any of the other larger schools. Um, do you have Paxlovid on hand in case you would get a case of COVID so that the immunocompromised person or the uh, obese person uh, or the diabetic would be able to recover
13: faster
11: uh, that's easy we don't we're, we're not a medical facility but we have access to a, an md who is our standby on on staff and also local hospital
4: i think that makes makes very good sense what dave shared mm-hmm.
10: Okay,
2: next we have Timothy.
10: Yes, thank you so much. You know, this is uh, directed to guide dogs of the desert. I am so happy to hear that you're training poodles. I've had an allergy to dogs my whole life, and I've been taking shots for the last two and a half years. Um, And I was wondering, um, like, do most of the the students that come to you, are they students that have tried other breeds of dogs and are unable to deal with it because of their allergies? and then they come to you. And I'm really excited to hear how successful was that because I'm praying for a little poodle guide dog.
18: Well, thanks, Timothy. Um, yes, we do. That, of course, is the main reason why we work with the standard poodles. Um, and we have had People that, yes, have transitioned from um, another type of guide dog to the poodle and they find that they don't have allergies anymore. They're not stuffed up anymore. So, yes, that's that's the main reason we do that. We have been very successful with our poodles. We had uh, a class of six graduate last year. Um, and then, just recently, we had a mixed class with poodles and labs. But um, that's kind of our sweet spot right now. Our our poodles, they're um, like I said earlier. We just we have a great line that we're working with our trainers. They have been working with the poodles for so long that they understand the breed and um, we've had a lot of success with them. So we, um, the majority of the people that we have right now on our list are looking for poodles. So um, like I said, we're the poodle school. So.
4: Poodle central. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Great. All right, Andrea, on to the next. Um,
2: Mike Tindall, please go
11: ahead. Good afternoon, thank you everybody for the updates, Uh, all the schools, that was wonderful. Rebecca Floyd, uh, we missed what area you cover. And then I also quickly
22: had a question for Eric from Freedom Guide Dogs. Um, I don't think you mentioned in your presentation, how long is your uh, program with students when you're doing
4: a
11: home placement?
4: Eric, unfortunately, had to leave, um, but it's anywhere from 7 to 14. <clears throat> um, I can submit that question to him and put it out on the list, uh, but I think it's between probably more like 10 to 14 days. I will double-check with Eric on that.
17: We, uh, we cover the entire United States. And, uh, can't, and some can't Canadian uh, applicants. In fact, we recently placed a dog in Canada. So um, uh, we just want to, our dogs to go to people who need them and will use them and we will give them the exercise that they need and deserve. And um, uh, so and who whose needs my, our dogs can can meet.
4: Okay, let's move on. Thank you, Rebecca.
14: Kim Carmichael. You- okay. Um, I have two quick ones. First is for GDB. Um, I missed part of the, the beginning, so I hope I'm not asking something that's redundant. Do you guys ever plan to do
19: poodles again?
9: <laughs> Great question. Thanks for that. Um, we currently are not uh, training, breeding or training poodles at this time.
14: Okay, I had your number two poodle that was released. Um, So then for Guide Dogs of the Desert, do you require documentation for allergies or not? And if you don't, if I do have the documentation, would that make the process faster? And thank you.
18: It would, Kim, but we do not ask for documentation. But if you have it, sure. Send it over that would be fine. Okay. Thank and you. we yeah, and typically the people that come to us are looking for poodles. So we we realized that, but
20: yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Sure. Mm-hmm.
2: All right, let's
21: uh, see what else we have. Andrea? Um, Am I next? Who's speaking? Oh, this is Linda Yaks. I thought it was called on. I have a quick question. This is kind of a strange question, but I I just wanna ask it real quick. So is there anything in between a full-fledged guide dog and a buddy dog That might be provided to a former guide dog user who no longer can cross streets or doesn't have access to good transportation, but would still be able to use a dog in a setting to go in and out of buildings Mm. or to, um, you know, like if I were in an independent living situation to walk from my home over to the main building to, you know, for lunch and stuff. And, And I appreciate all of you.
9: Thank you. does anybody want to tackle that one yeah this is jake with guide dogs for the blind um so again our dogs are well trained pets they are not covered under the three federal access laws ada fha and acaa um so these dogs would be pets only they are not required nor um, do we at all recommend condone etc any additional training uh for service work so these are just purely as as pets
4: Yeah, I think that would be pretty much across the board because that there is no gray area with regard to, I think, um, and if somebody knows for sure, Melissa, I know you would know. Um, ESAs do not have right of access with the exception of housing. Is that still correct?
23: All right. I'm going to try this again. Am I echoing still?
4: No, no. you sound great. Awesome. No, <laughs> ESAs are
23: only covered in housing uh, right. on, under the federal law. However, there are some states who do allow ESAs um, in in public places. I think Rhode Island might have recently passed a law. They're very, very minimal state laws and they're very specific, but I wouldn't bank on those um, because it's just in one or two states. But yeah, ESAs are just in housing and they don't have to be dogs.
4: Okay, Um, I guess the answer to your question, then I believe it was Linda would be that, that would be something that you would probably want to seek out a private trainer. um, And like, like has been well articulated a dog such as that would not have right of access um, in any, you know, public facility except your, your home. All right, Andrea. Shall we move on?
2: Beth, I was given. I was given yeah, the. Best go, I was best, I was just about to call on you. Please go ahead. Thank oh, you.
3: great! Thank you. Well, thank you so much to everyone and to GDUI. This is absolutely magnificent. I would like. I was going to ask the same question in a different, slightly different way than Linda, but I would like to echo what Linda said. I am an independent living, soon to be possibly assisted living. And I would love. I do not cross streets. I don't take buses, subways, trains, planes. But I would love to have a a dog that, for health reasons, so I could walk quickly, so I could um, just do the basics that that a guide dog is first trained to do. And I think it would be wonderful if the schools would think about the possibility of taking dogs who are not suitable during their training. It is found for the full gamut of training they're either afraid of cars they're afraid of backfiring they're afraid of subways whatever it is and i know they are career changed into other fields and that's wonderful but i think it would be so great if they could be used by people who just need the basics so thank you very much
9: this is jake from guide dogs i just want to address your comment if if that's okay
4: yeah, go ahead, Jake.
9: Yeah. So the reason at, at this time now, you know, who knows in the future, but at this time, the reason that, that that's a good idea, and I appreciate your your thought. That's a very thoughtful idea. The reason that that doesn't work, at least here at Guide Dogs for the Blind, is if we train a dog as a guide, but it's like we then we tell you, well, this it's missing this and it's missing that, or it can only do the basics. That dog is then considered unsound, and if something were to happen to you. We would never be able to live with ourselves if you got hurt or something bad happened because we gave you this dog that was rated at, say, you know, a basic level, and then for whatever reason there was something else that became unsound in the dog that you know caused disrupted your life, hurt you, something ha- bad happened to you. So unfortunately, there's no real gray area at this time. You really have. A guide dog or a canine buddy or various uh, variation of that you know if you're interested in in a slower life or a life where you're not taking buses and planes and commuting and all that stuff i'd recommend you kind of think about you know what do you do because certainly we have dogs that travel you know um in a more relaxed way so to speak so if you have some basic routes and you're crossing some small streets or driveways you have some you know Mm -hmm. just a few destinations um, maybe maybe think a little bit more about that because a guide dog could still be a possibility for you. We just need to make sure that you have, you know, places to go. And even if they're just basic destinations, that's, that's okay. Yes.
18: And this is Karen with Guide Dogs of the Desert. And I just want to jump on that, what Jake said. That is so true. And we, um, that's kind of what I was trying to put together in my brain to say but I didn't have to because Jake said it for me so that was great but we do I mean and we we you know we work the gamut with people and sometimes we have some dogs that maybe are we call them just a little bit softer um so maybe they don't take as much management, or maybe they don't travel quite as fast. Mm -hmm. So there is that option. And that's when, you know, you really kind of get into that customization. But um, I love what Jake said that there, there probably could be some routes that you could still be doing if you have the right match of a dog. Mm -hmm. So don't let that let that frighten you. We just uh, placed a 87 year old woman with her very first guide dog. So um, there's, you know, it's all about the match. Mm -hmm. So I just want people to realize that, that um, there's lots of dogs out there.
6: And this is Melissa from Guiding Eyes, if I could also just jump on that quickly. Um, I think something to consider is Thinking about your best interest, mm-hmm. um, will you be able to, will you be comfortable giving a two to three-year-old dog the type of exercise that it needs? Or is that energy going to be disruptive to your life or not productive to your life? Is it going to be a safety concern? Um, so I agree with what's already been said. There's a bunch of different dogs with different personalities out there who can definitely suit a variety of needs. So if you're not sure if that's something that you can take on, or if you want us to help you determine that and work with you as a team approach, I think that's something that any of the guide dog schools here would be, would be willing to look at on an individual basis.
2: This is why you keep landlines, y'all, because I disconnected from the iPhone. Go, and go ahead, please, because we, okay. have, we have limited time. So go ahead. Thank okay. you. Um, this is directed specifically to uh, to uh, Dave Johnson. Um, since I know the Seeing I think is about the only school that is still offering wheelchair training for handlers who have had dogs from the Seeing before and were ambulatory before. Do you ever see a day because of the fact that other people are ending up with multiple disabilities, when you could take in first timers who are blind, but are also dependent on a wheelchair, provided that they either are willing to become proficient with a power chair or are already proficient with a power chair. Right.
11: Yes, simple answer. Yes. We just trained somebody uh, in a power chair who, had, who did have a dog from another program. Um, that didn't want to reserve her and we did. Um, it is about the proficiency with the power chair. Um, I have to say that I admire anybody who can steer a power chair and, and follow a dog because it is tricky business and, and not for everybody. I don't think I could possibly do it without vision. I, my hand's just not that steady anymore. But uh, yeah, we're, we're, I don't see us um, serving volumes of people, um In chairs, because it is really um, very time consuming and so on, but we we are able to do it.
22: question is for the buddy program because no one's really talked about it much um if someone is a, is approved for the buddy program, do they come into the school for a short training? How does that work?
9: the blind um Great question. We uh, do not require class training. So these are in-home So We would bring the dog to you and um, spend a short amount of time um, with you again we're not teaching you how to use a guide dog. We're giving you a, a well-trained pet dog and reviewing some um, you know, basic obedience and handling tasks. So no need for you to come to our campus. We would bring the dog to you. But of course, anytime you have questions, um, you can reach our telephonic support center Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. So lots of support for you, but no reason to come to
19: campus.
2: Okay. And really quick, Agnes, please go ahead.
19: Okay. I just have a uh, a question about the positive and
2: uh, reinforcement training that's being used. Is there a time
19: when you use that with your dog, but then you're also taught you know how to back off so that if there's a time so that they
2: will work for you without becoming completely dependent on
5: always getting a treat?
20: This is Megan Dodder with GDF. That's a great question. Um, In our program, and I assume it's similar for many of the other schools, um, within the class program, you would learn how to transition to a more intermittent intermittent reward schedule, as well as pairing other reinforcers, like your voice and touch, um, to be meaningful to your dog. So you would pair food with that, so then you could rely on those reinforcers versus food down the road. Um, each team is different, but most clients will transition to a more infrequent food reward uh, schedule. And some teams even transition to, um, you know, uh, getting off of food entirely, depending on the intensity of your work and environment and all of those things. So, um, that is definitely a part of the dog's training process and formal training as well that they learn to work um, not getting food reward for everything that they do correctly in preparation to transition to the client. I hope that answers your question. Thank you.
1: Well,
2: again, my apologies, uh, Maria. I just- Oh, hey, you're doing a terrific a bite, job. I just got Andrea. a little confused. Okay, Malcolm. Please go ahead. Malcolm
22: Cole. Thank you. Uh, great job, everybody. Really appreciate all these schools and what they do. Um, GDB. Do you have different dog sizes, dogs depending on the size of the person? A person five five would probably not need a dog as tall as somebody who's six five.
9: <laughs> great question. Thanks for that one. Um, so when we look at a dog match, the, what we're primarily looking Primarily looking at is compatibility, right? right? Looking at your needs, your lifestyle, the types of travel that you do, the type of handler that you are, control factor, all kinds of things. We can uh, certainly look at a dog size, especially if you are interested in that. Uh, if you have a, a, you know, you want a female black lab and you wanted to weigh 60 pounds and stand 21 inches high, you know, we can certainly take that into consideration. But we can also mechanically account for the difference in height. What I mean by that is through the use of our harnesses, uh, they are all um, sort of quick change parts, meaning that the handle and the body come apart and everything's the same. They're all standardized parts. So that means that if you need an extra long handle, it's a matter of a two second clip clip put the handle on the harness body. Um, and then you've got uh, you know, a handle that's going to work for you. So even if you're six foot tall and you've got a dog that's you know, 48 pounds and 18 inches tall, we can make up the difference with an extra long harness handle. Uh, going the other way, if somebody need, uh, has a tall, taller dog or bigger dog that's maybe more gentle or fits their handling style, but they're four foot 11, our harness handle, harness handle lengths go all the way down to extra short. <laughs> um, itty bitty little harness handle um to to fit that person's needs so yes um height of the dog is part of it's sort of physicality of the dog and certainly you have a say in that if you have needs there but also we can um make up the difference and most of the time we do mechanically through the harness handle lengths and sizes may i ask morning.
22: another question
4: real quickly before we move on i just okay. wanted to say um sometimes the uh height of the dog really doesn't figure into the height of the person i have a nice tall giant dog and i'm not very tall and i love it so go ahead and and ask your next
22: question uh on the same lines uh gdb what would be would it not be possible for a person to get a buddy dog and then train them to do what they want the dog to do like take short walks be able to cross the street, teach the dog how to cross the street safely and, and such as that and still not be liable under a guide dog rule. Thank you for letting me question that.
9: Yeah, good question. Absolutely not. No, these are pet dogs. We uh, similar to other schools, it's in, in our contract that these dogs will not be trained as service animals. And you have to remember, uh, at least at our school, the dog that is becoming a canine buddy has told us through its action that it doesn't want to do service work. If it wanted to do service work, it would be a guide dog or it would go to another type of service animal program. So by then asking the dog after it's been career changed to, "Hey, do you mind learning how to, you know, uh, guide in a straight line or target a pole? That's unfair to the dog. So these dogs are pets. They've told us that they're pets. We've made that determination, and so. And in, in no way, shape or form are we recommending that these dogs be trained to perform any service. Um, the only thing that they know how to do is, you know, good house manners, basic obedience, sit down, stay, come and heal, and just generally being a good, lovely, cuddly dog.
4: Yes, thank you so much, Jake. Now, before we go on to the next question, I am going to jump in here and ask a question that was submitted to me by, again, someone who can't be here in person. And this question is about ownership, unconditional ownership. And um, keeping in mind that all of the schools here have the utmost interest in making sure that the partnership uh, works, the support is given from day one. um, Please address anybody that would like to, the difference between unconditional ownership and ownership and why some of the schools retain ownership for uh, uh, several years, and even you know, uh, once ownership is given, is it unconditional? Um, I know there's a lot of varying issues here. So, anybody that would like to tackle this question, I'd be very grateful.
11: Hey, Vicki, it's Dave Johnson. Um, we're unconditional ownership. There's there's no contract. There is nothing signed. If you graduate the program and you've you know, passed the course, and we've home visited you, and we have faith in you. You go home, you own your dog, you take care of your dog, and you call us when you need support. Um, that's the way it's always been with the CNI, and we were founded on that, and that's all I can really speak to from our organization.
4: Thank you, Dave. Welcome. Okay,
2: next we have Kitty. Go ahead and uh,
19: you can speak, please. Okay. I'm glad somebody addressed the uh, question about ownership, but I wonder how that works for the um, buddy dogs or the Mm -hmm. uh, companion dogs. When you get one of those, do you become its permanent owner? Um, And also, could you teach that pet to do things around the house, like Mm -hmm. help you find dropped objects?
9: Yeah. Uh, this is jake again <laughs> uh so again I, speaking to, to our program here um you know yeah these these would be dogs that you know you would own you, you get ownership of, of the dog um the dog is gifted to you so you know it's not like you're purchasing the dog from us so um you know we do ask that you, know, you kind of stay within the you know the, the, the intent of the dog which is to to have it as a pet um, and again, back to my earlier point, you could train a dog to do anything, I suppose, but these dogs have told us in training, right, there's a lot of careful assessment that goes into a guide dog before it even makes it to class. And they have told us that they don't want to be service animals. They don't want to work. They don't want to, to you know you know, perform a task. So again, we would encourage people not to be training their canine buddy dogs to assist with any type of service animal tasks to mitigate a disability.
5: Hi, this is uh, Jennifer Johnson with Southeastern Guide Dogs, and I echo a lot of what Jake says. Uh, We have the skilled companion, which is the, I I think, similar to what the the GDB um, buddy program is. And again, the. Exactly what Jake said. These dogs have already told us that they don't want to perform any um, services and they are pets. So we don't want them to be trained for anything. We don't want them to be held accountable for any of these tasks or skills that we would teach in the guide dog or the service dog world. Uh, when our companions are placed, um, like we said, we go through a matching process to make sure that the lifestyle, uh, of the family or the individual is going to match that of the dog and the personality and the temperament of the dog. But we, they do get ownership of the dog and it is gifted to you. Like Jake said, there's no cost for those. And, um, the same thing with our, um, our guide dogs and our service dogs is that the, the ownership is turned over to the client.
4: And is that unconditional ownership? Yes. Okay. I I do realize that there is a bit of a difference as some of the programs will grant ownership after several years, but it may not be completely unconditional.
5: Well, our, ours is, um, it, it's right away, you, you leave here. Um, we do have a contract that is signed. So there are certain conditions um, that we want you to meet and, and agree to, such as, you know, not neglect in healthcare and um, housing the animal inside. There's various conditions to our contract, but the ownership is turned over um, as soon as you have graduated with our class.
2: Okay,
4: Um, do we have any more comments with regard to that? Because I know that that there is some different perspectives on that, so it is interesting to hear. All right, do we have any other questions?
19: Yes, Viola, go ahead, please. Jake. if I do this, could I specify that I would like, and I know this would take longer if that's the case, but my favorite is the golden retriever. And I had three of them. Um, would I be able to ask or that I would prefer a golden retriever? I don't care how tall or short. I don't care if it's male or female, but, um, and also, um, to the fact of, of having them do anything, would taking them to be like, taking them into a nurse, uh, nursing home or, you know, doing any that kind of work, would that negate that also, therapy dog?
9: Great questions, thanks. Uh, to answer your first one, yes, you can specify. So if you have a breed, color, sex, preference, any of that stuff, you're welcome to, to specify that and we'll do our best to, to accommodate. Uh, to your second question, um, again, these dogs don't have any access rights, so you'd have to get permission to to bring the dog into a place. Um, you know, therapy work isn't a service, right? It's essentially just a pet dog hanging out, um, you know, being enjoyed by by people and people benefiting from the human animal bond. And and I don't mean to minimize the work that they do because that that is really important work. But for the trying, I'm just trying to draw a very bold line between service animal and the canine body program to help people understand this. So yeah, I don't see why you couldn't go into a, a place and do quote unquote therapy work. But again, they're not a therapy dog. They're not a service dog. They are a well-trained pet. So just like any other well-trained pet that you'd have in your home, if you were doing some therapy work with that dog, um, you know, it'd be the same thing, but there's no task associated with that. It's just a, a pet dog that, that wants to be loved on.
1: Okay, hey, and this is Maria. I think we have time for maybe one more question, and then we have wrap-up stuff to do.
21: Okay, Lindy X, please go ahead, dear. I know this buddy program has gotten a lot of attention because to a lot of us, it's really not something we've ever heard of before. Mm-hmm. And so I just have one quick question. So I want to walk my buddy dog, but would I be, you know,
9: are they able to be walked while we use a cane? Big again, um, yes, you can walk your dog while using a cane. And that is something that we make sure that the dogs are familiar with. Again, the dog is in heel position. So they're following you, right? So you're holding on to the leash and they're walking next to you typically on your left. Um, and then you would be using standard cane technique and the dog would not have any responsibility for your safety or your mobility or even orientation.
4: Great question. Okay. I think it's time to wrap up. I I wanted to,
1: first of all, thank you and Darcy. um, Most welcome. That Andrea was the host and Darcy the streamer. I want to thank Vicki too. She's done a terrific job um, handling this whole program. I really appreciate her assistance. And um, I guess, uh, Andrea, you could give the CPU code. Okay, here we go. And again, I want to thank
2: everyone, all of the attendees for your cooperation and your patience with uh, being called upon and all. Uh, The ending CEU codes, 70160. Again, 70160. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much, everyone.